0: Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way.
1: The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term to Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift.
0: And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Chris. Good afternoon. How are you, my man?
1: Doing good. I'm weighted down by this beard.
0: Now You got your winter growth going.
1: <laughs> Feels good. It's fun. If People have been like, what? Hopping on video meetings that hadn't seen me in a bit.
0: You look burly, baby. It's like, uh, you know, the two sides of Chris. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's worth, I understand it. I mean, so it's been 20 degrees out, you know, for the last two or three weeks. It's, it's got to
1: stay warm. Plus, this is placebo effect, I'm sure. But I, I'm eating more ribeyes and adding more weight to my workouts. And I think it's because of the beard.
0: All right, man. Winter <laughs> time is the time to do it. You bulk up in the winter and then you uh, you get ripped in the summertime, right? And there you go. It's perfect. <laughs> Look, man, I think we've been talking a little bit about before the um, the session today about our topic, and uh, I'm really excited about this idea of taking our conversation so far this year to the next level and talking about this idea of building the dream team. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we go any further, I know that that's a phrase you coined. Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, well, not necessarily the the phrase dream team, but thought through what it means to get to that piece of, you know, direct focus. Uh, what we did coin that I think aids in that direct focus is this. A leader who is secure in their identity overflows to a clear mission and out of that attracts and builds a healthy community. And so you, you have a flow through here. Everybody wants a healthy culture. Everybody wants, uh, well, Healthy leaders want a healthy culture, but everybody wants a growth culture, you know, people that want something to grow. And, and some people are willing to go one step behind that to what it means to actually get that, which is the team. I mean, you can have so many dreams. You can have so many visions. You can have them clear. You can want to take action. But you look at the difference between the amazing basketball players and the Michael Jordans that had their team around them and how much farther you go. I think LeBron and Michael Jordan make a great comparison there.
0: Well, so to to, to uh, continue that analogy, we see a lot of top performers in the NBA purposely recruiting, right? All pros and superstars to their team and consistently failing to even make the playoffs Yeah, exactly (laughs) so it's it's not about having top performers it's about something different what is that about
1: yeah well it's about the emotional mental awareness of what they would call the the key player and then the balance of the team around them it's not enough to get the superstars it requires the emotional and mental awareness of the key player and then the players around them are a yin-yang.
0: Right. So just recently we've heard uh, the Lakers are having a hard time and they've got members of their team and they just, one of the mantras is let him be him, right? So it's this idea of, you know, we've got all these superstars, there aren't enough roles for the superstars. So the idea is, well, let just let them be themselves. But is that really enough? I mean, and I hear what you're saying about emotional um, balance, but what about the practical practical reality of putting people on a floor or in a field of play and making sure they all know what their job is and making sure they're all capable of delivering that job at a high level in concert with the other members of the team? Yeah, well, I
1: mean, you you have that example where – the coach of the Bulls, Phil Jackson, would have them like close their eyes and breathe together. And, and you know, people chalk that up to, well, that was his Buddhist Zen stuff that he's doing with them. And that could have been helpful. But, you know, yeah, there are practices that are helpful and have been for thousands of years. They were doing something there, learning to form a cohesive consciousness. So This is what they have in the Navy SEALs they have an approach that allows as they move into a space and and maybe the main leader of that unit isn't seeing something that somebody else on the team is there's a shared consciousness where they learn to relax into oh that person is leading right now they're seeing something i'm not um, so it, 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 at a high level we could say it this way An advanced me consciousness from these superstar players, and and, you know, it's so easy to draw the line to business, the people that are high quality impact leaders have to progress to appreciating the we consciousness. Uh, The most powerful, impactful, championship elite performing teams in any industry, in whatever you want to say they move in and out of the symbiotic relationship of me consciousness and we consciousness. It's individuals who know how to be themselves. Hey, let him be him, but also can drop that in a second and are fluid to get into the we experience of that.
0: Gotcha. So, uh, that's, I guess we could call that being in flow. We could call that, um, you know, just a level of familiarity that we have with each other due to time. I mean, it's time—the the main component there, you know, working together. I'm sure it starts with some sort of connection that we all have. Then there's time we get to experience each other, see how they operate, how they deci- how they make decisions. We begin to anticipate how people are going to respond to certain situations, what they may be strong at, what they, what they may be weak at, where they might want me in that situation. I mean, it, t- can, but can't you can't you short circuit that, or do you have to wait? You know, do you have to kind of go for it?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that's. I think you anticipated where I was heading. And uh, time, trust, and awareness will get you there. Eventually. Eventually. But you can get there way faster with data. And And I didn't know how to express this, but, you know, I'm 44 now. In my mid-20s, I was directly leading teams and starting teams like crazy. And I could get a team to stage four high-performing um, in, you know... Eight to 10 meetings because you got the four stages of the team. How? Well, through understanding some psychological processes. Now, what I didn't have at the time that I have now, that we have now, is a way to measure that, like a deitized tool to be able to go here's the fit and function, you know, here's the adaptive psychological blocks to you being able to move out of me, me and we consciousness, and here's the place you're going to show up in your zone of genius. Um, and and with those two anchor points yeah you can you can practically show an image and get there awesome
0: so let's so let's let's step back because you gave us a lot of good insight there so let's talk about the four components of a team let's let's start with the definition
1: the the you mean the four phases what i was referring to yeah so this was tuckman's four model four phases of a team out of the 60s forming storming norming performing and what you don't you know, this is such a massive model and what, what was it Bob or the Charlie Munger who worked with Buffett said, you know, no model is perfect. Models are necessary but not perfect or something. This this model though, while not perfect, I have seen it play out over and over and over and over and over. And you almost can make a team's reality by teaching the model. So teams go through the four phases forming, It's when they're coming together, it's gonna be awesome storming. Oh, it's not going like I thought, because it never goes like we think. So even if the team is new, the company is new, or the initiative is new, and we're forming a new team, um, you know, we're pulling people from different departments and organizations, or the killer blind spot on this is a new leader comes in. A new leader comes in and leads it like it's in phase one, not even taking into account whatever phase that team is in. And so that forming that's so important, Uh, in the initial stage, doesn't have to last long. The quicker you get the team to healthy conflict, the better. Um, You don't have to force it, you don't have to rush it, you don't have to create a crisis, you don't have to be dramatic. But you do have to take it to that emotion that people have. Oh, This is not going like I thought. Exactly, it never does. Uh, So to even take this NBA example that we're using almost too far, that's what you have happening. You know, a superstar comes in, and if they're the main key player, they're ripping that organization back to phase one. They're not syncing up with where the organization is. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to not commit that crime. Storming after that is where we go, wait a second. You know, this, this is not like I thought. There are times where I've led teams through change, and in the forming phase, I've gone ahead and taken them to another organization and sh- and said, this is where we're headed. This is what it's going to feel like. This is what it's going to sound like. This is what it's going to taste like. This is what it's going to look like. What happens? Not everybody wants to make that journey. That's okay. We are now in the storming. We are figuring out what it's really like. That storming settles down. And, and Ken Blanchard did some work on this situational leadership, how you change your style for each phase. But that storming settles down, and now we're in the new normal you know our country right now is in a storming phase psychologically at the meta level of politics we are not yet to any kind of you know norm and right now it profits political leaders this might be too high level and meta for people but I think if they can connect the dots they can learn from this a ton Um, at, at the high level politically there's no reward to take our country out of storming phase. The reward exists and incentivizes fundraising to stay in storming. Right. Um, you know, Republicans could have fixed abortion a long time ago if they wanted to. It's, it's a great fundraiser. It's just one simple example. So after storming, you get this calming down and this norming, and we get in our grooves and we start to learn how to shift out of this me and we consciousness and they we're in performing. So what you see in some of these elite team-based trainings or experiences, like Navy SEALs, for example, uh, you know, and I I, I don't know this from experience, but from having coached uh, people in these positions, um, they are putting them through experiences to accelerate this progression to get them to high performance. And you say, well, once you get to high performing, have you earned it, achieved it, now it's a done deal? I wish, because the reality is this is cyclical. And you might groove for a while, but you're going to go back to these again. Or, you know, the leader gets promoted to another division in the organization. A new team leader comes in. They don't know they're at phase four, jerks them back to phase one.
0: Right. So it's interesting. So if a leader doesn't consciously understand these four phases, forming, storming, norming and performing and hasn't kind of experienced it or isn't being coached through what to expect, how to facilitate, how to take it just so far that doesn't start debilitating the team and relationships and so forth. If they don't have all that going for them, um, is it a matter of luck that a team actually works out? Oh, I love this question.
1: Um, Before I tell you this, though, I have to say Tuckman did come out later and be like, there's actually a fifth stage, which wouldn't you if you needed another book to write. I'm not saying that was his motive, but I still don't think it's true. Most models like this have a rhythm of four and there's reasons for that. Um, Absolutely, it's luck. This is what Jim Collins talked about when he said the most dangerous thing about success is you don't know what got you there. So that's why if you try to, like, ask somebody, how did you get to this spot what did you accomplish what did you do to accomplish this very often they're unable to deconstruct the reasons for their success why because they happen to get lucky and uh you know i think we don't we don't realize how many people are on the front of business magazines that got lucky right Right. which is why nicholas Taleb says You learn better through the loss and failure, and he recommends a book, What I Learned Losing More Than a Million Dollars, which I wholeheartedly recommend. That book was amazing for me to deconstruct when I actually lost a million (laughs) dollars.
0: Well, tell me about the connection between that book and why it was so amazing in the topic today.
1: Well, because it's the awareness that a leader has to have if they're going to be the kind You're never gonna get as far as you wanna go without your dream team. Nothing is more integral, powerful, and effective after a leader's personal self-awareness than a dream team. Um, And you're never gonna get that if you think of yourself as a leader who, you know, well, I am feeling some crass statements rise up in me, but your shit stinks. Everybody's does, you know. Not every idea I have is golden. And I know that I might hit gold a few times, but I need people around me who have different wirings that I don't think they're taking my idea and anesthetizing it or group thinking it, but actually reforming it and refining it. And and that's that's a sophisticated team. A team that knows How to delineate between groupthink and taking the potency out of an idea versus reforming it. Most leaders are afraid because they know there's too many crappy teams that groupthink something or anesthetize it. You know, groups tend to pull towards consensus while individuals innovate. Yeah. Dream teams take it and make it way better.
0: Yeah. So much that you're leading me to here that I want to touch on. There's a question though that um, is weighing on me, and I've always said this, but I don't, I don't, I've only said it based on my kind of experience, um, and it's it's a way for me to kind of justify my curiosity and my desire to get better, but this order to continuously improve, and it's this idea that a team can't outreach or outperform the reach of their leader, like that. You know and and I feel like there are a lot of leaders out there who don't invest in themselves who don't uh, seek awareness who fall back on you know primitive behavior and um, urges and so forth and rest in their title um, and uh, you know lack the insight the awareness the sophistication to actually put a team together and do the things you're talking about Uh and, uh, and then wonder why the team isn't performing, and wondering why the more they push, the more they uh, threaten, the more they create fear, uh, they don't have the change that they seek. So I mean, is it is it a fair statement to say, look, if you've you know, if you if you are if you're a B leader, you can't go out and recruit A players and keep them not only... Keep them, but keep them motivated, keep them focused, keep them excited to be working with you and the other members of the team to pursue the vision that you've laid down for them.
1: Yeah, well, you know, for me, there's a crossroads here. There's two paths to take. You either need to be the most aware person in the room, not in a competitive way, but like um, the most aware person is the leader, even if they're not the positional leader. And awareness is something that you can work at every day and you'll never reach the bottom of it. Take a room full of people who are very advanced in their awareness. They're going to learn to move in and out of each other's consciousness in a healthy way. So it's a beautiful experience. If you're not going to take that path, which I would say is the healthy path, you can still get amazing things done in the world. How? You've just got to be an amazing villain. You're never going to be a great leader as a victim. you either got to be really powerful and aware, self-personal awareness, all this whole thing, healthy, everything we would describe as healthy leadership, or a super apex predator villain. And, and there are super apex predator villains who get amazing things done, you know, and they get business books written about them. Some of them are, are glorified. In human history and in our business history now, some of them are demonized, appropriately so—Hitler, whatever. Um, but those, you know, that's another form of awareness. It's just not awareness that contributes to a common good. It's an awareness that is jungle-like, and and that's the sad reality. You, you and I were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, because I had told you about that Kanye lyric that we shouldn't even quote. And, and that's the thing. He was basically saying in that, you know, I'm either a victim or a villain, so I'll be a villain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, uh, great insight. Um, so when we come back to our conversation, we're making a distinction between two paths that can work. One is unhealthy, the villain, one is healthy. Uh, we're talking about how to become that healthy leader. So what's the point? Ultimately, what's the bottom line? What's the reason why anybody would want to be a healthy leader uh, of a healthy, high-performing team?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, y- you know, I think if I could answer that question, I could solve nature nurture because uh, we're not going to solve it. It is a symbiotic relationship, but it, com- it comes down to desire. Like, what do you want? Do you want You know, there's a song uh, by the Everett Brothers called No Hard Feelings. Have you heard of that song, by chance? It went pretty big in popular culture a few years ago. Um, And it's a song about when I die. I don't want any hard feelings. And, uh, you know, you can become the villain. But what happens is you get deformed. You become bitter. You become crusty. Uh, You're not leaving a legacy of impact and love not to be too woo about it um you're just instead a very sophisticated apex predator and sadly people think if you're not that you can't you can't lead at the highest levels it's just not true love and humility can never be beat you can't you can't beat those bring force against humility and it dissipates
0: it's interesting um i'm raising teenagers and young adults and we always talk about human nature and when I can't answer the, when I, my kids ask me a question, why? It's usually about why do people behave so poorly toward each other uh, or why does something that doesn't make sense, why is that true when what we think makes sense isn't true? And our, our phrase is it's, that's the human condition, you know, the paradox is the human condition. and i'm not saying it's right it's just how we kind of process things here and what you just said you know made me think about one of those conversations right so you don't really see many movies you don't read many books you don't read you don't hear many stories about human beings when on their deathbed they don't regret the hard feelings right when when they're near the end that they don't regret the loneliness being alone pushing people away and it seems like that's a very consistent universal part of the story so at the end we have regret for doing for behaving poorly but in the beginning like when we're young and we're starting out and we're like in the in the mix it's glorified to be the kind of person who can who can survive and be that kind of villainous uh, predator it's it's glorified uh you know that the power that you feel the power that you see somebody wield uh, and you kind of wish you had that um, and I think that's that's just a really interesting paradox that we ultimately all all of us will ultimately end up regretting that and maybe never being able to make it right because we Oof. we have the realization too late
1: yeah dude you make a powerful point. And, uh, you know, this is something I think about a lot in the last couple of years. Of course, you know, with the, the cancer stuff, but even more so today, I mean, like while we record this today, one of Brandy's friends from high school is getting unhooked from the machines that are keeping her alive. Not, you know, with COVID, but from COVID. Mm. Um, and, and a person she went to high school with. Right. And I'm like, You know, I've already felt my mortality so much this last year and all these experiences. And, you know, that's why the top five regrets, the regrets of the dying, that book, the lady that worked in hospice, top regret. I wish I would have lived my life, not the one someone else wanted me to live. We do have these deathbed moments. Although I do have to say, have you ever seen the show 30 Rock with Alec Baldwin? A little bit older. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Do you remember the episode where he's in the hospital dying and he goes, I wish I would have spent more time at the office? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was it was such a great uh, you know, creative play on how we're not gonna really feel that way. So that's why when you asked earlier, I I, I said it comes down to desire. It comes down to who you wanna be, who you want to become, how you want it to end. And it is I mean, it is so hard for the human mind to get its hand around future and exponential math like those two things are just hard for us we can get our hand around future worry but like so so that's why in the coaching program we do we do a deathbed thing like if you pass the greatest tests of your character who could you become let's imagine that blow that picture up and reverse engineer it to now now we've filtered out unnecessary bs to really hone that north star so you know, I like achieving. Achieving is fun. I like it. It's so fun. I do not like losing. Well, it's mm-hmm. important for me to understand that I feel more joy and empowered in my life to be present with people I love when I'm winning than when I'm losing. That is a flaw, not a feature. So if I reverse engineer that, then I can go, hmm. What if I learn to be present, whether I'm winning or
0: losing? Right. it's just Life data. changing. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it's what's so coming back to this idea of the dream team, right? Every leader wants one. And the question is, what are you as a leader doing to create one? Uh, and I can, I can think to a recent example. Uh, I was coaching a leader at a... I think four or five billion dollar company. Um not 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 that the size is important, it's just that it's a large corporation. It right? tells a story. Yeah. And you think you'd think that in this corporation they'd have this figured out. And the in and, and he manages somewhere around fifty people. Um small relatively small team. Um and he, had, he has only ever had conversations with his team about work, about getting shit done. They only ever come to him about work and getting things done. He admitted that after the years of working with this group, he really didn't know what their desires were. He hadn't, they hadn't had a circle <laughs> where they all breathed together and got to know each other at a level beyond the work and um, even with a full hr group and you know learned people all over the place the the culture and priority and we were talking about this because the organization was in a state of transformation so they're admittedly wanting to get better but so much of the environments that we operate in they're so consumed by metrics that can only be measured by business transactions and leaders don't have or aren't asked to track metrics that can only be measured by learning about each other, connecting with each other, understanding each other. Uh, you know, what is it? Why are you here at this? Why are you here at this at this mm-hmm. place of business? Why do you come to work every day? You know, without having those conversations, we don't get a sense of who it is we're working with. So how can we ever? ascend to a level of performance that um, really matches our potential.
1: Yes. And so in my language, that person is really a crappy half-human or villain. Not to denigrate them too much, but here's what I mean. It's not because
0: they wanted to be. It's because of a lack of understanding or awareness, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's the fear and the insecurity
1: that holds them back. One of my favorite stories uh from the the last couple of years, the pandemic, um a guy that was in the coaching, and you know similar kind of thing, just to give context here, a few thousand four thousand people in the organization he president c o o and uh but what was the big thing that he had in the coaching that impacted his team so much? Sharing a recipe he shared a favorite recipe, it bonded them, it connected them. he stepped into a fuller humanity. And so our models for leadership are so broken and flawed because we're basing them off of what we've seen. Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute mile, then other people break the four-minute mile. It's hard to go places that you haven't seen others go. And what we're trying to bring is a revolution here that step into a full humanity of leadership, step into a fullness. It's what we need. We need tons of examples of this And and that will lead you to a dream team. I think the only thing I would take issue with what you said is I don't think everybody does want a dream team. I think I think some leaders uh, want a team of people just to serve them. You know, it's like uh, your
0: job is to make me look good.
1: Yeah, serve the insecurity that Mm -hmm. I have. I'm stressed. I just would rather you take this off my plate and I don't have to really be good at anything. I can just be very directive, you know, whatever. We can blow out a lot of caricatures. Everybody listening to this has worked for one leader like that at some point in their lives Mm. on average. And if you take the mean. And so what happens for me over and over is just saying, you know, if you figure out you, get secure in who you are, dedicate yourself to clarity in what you want. As secure you is going to want healthy mission. You're going to over time get to this healthy community, but what if we could accelerate it? Mm-hmm. That's that's the fascination. And then we'll figure well, out working with the leader: do they really want it or not?
0: Yeah, and and you know you start off by talking about um, having tools now, right? So we have tools that can actually identify the data. That can help us facilitate build the building of healthy teams, but even that word "data" to me risks dehumanizing the process, right? So, Mm. what I think was is really interesting is that you're you're injecting this this word humanity. I actually look back on my career, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before about how I, in the earlier part of my career, um. You know, I, I propagated that dehumanizing characteristic in the workplace that I, that I ran. Uh, it was all about the life-changing event. And people, it, this wasn't conscious, it was just the way I behaved. People were just stepping stones to that. And um, I assumed everyone thought the same way. Hmm. Uh, and so it was a villainous environment, but we were all villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, working toward that life-changing event but we all knew that we couldn't get there alone we had to we had to have an organization that cuz not everybody could not one, one person couldn't do it all right so it's this it's this band of villains like a a gang versus versus a team um, and in some cases we were successful in other cases we weren't and in, and in, but in every case i would say to you that those villains like me had to have an outlet where we could recharge our humanity. Mm-hmm. My outlet was my family. Mm-hmm. I was James at work, and I was Jimmy at home, mm-hmm. and with my friends. Right? I had two personas that I cultivated very, very uh, purposefully, uh, and they were designed to, you know, hide my insecurities, etc. But I, you know, I think what was what was interesting about the, that situation um, is that, yeah, to your point, it did work. And and so how do we how do we learn to bring the humanity into the workplace? How do we even understand what 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 makes you know what what, what um, constitutes as a humanistic perspective or thought process? And how do we begin kind of exploring that part of ourselves as as leaders, even if we are villains, even if we are in, unintended villains?
1: Yeah, and I, I have been that unintended villain. I was resonating with you. There, there's like a simple, medium, and then high-level approach here. The simple level is just, just bring a little bit more of who you are, right? We talked about the, the leader sharing the recipe. Maybe authentic, more authentic. Yeah, tell the stories. Us, more yeah, bring, bring a feeling, tell a story. You know, it could be something simple. You've seen me do this in meetings and stuff where I'm just having fun and I'm like, missed the trash this morning, ran out with my shirt off, you know,
0: <laughs> it's like
1: little things. You don't have to do it my way, do it, do it your way. And to talk about something where you're struggling and and not in a trauma dump way, not in a victim mindset way, but, but when that moment is there, you know, maybe a little struggle you're having with raising your teenager and how you love them and you're just a little stuck and trying to figure something out. Relaxing people around you with the things that you're in motion on. Because we all have things we're in motion on. Yes, you can still inspire them with your wins, but relax them with your struggles. The medium approach here is uh, to strategically find ways to tell stories, to accentuate the values that you want your organization to care about, to center from, to model. And and the most effective leaders are intentionally getting around the campfire, so to speak, telling those stories, bringing people into a human experience. It's not just the story of hitting the number. You know, all that matters. We want both. It's not either or. Yeah, tell the business really? stories. Tell the personal stories. Exactly. Um, and then at a very high level, uh, it's it's some introspection work that you have to do for yourself as a leader. Um Think through this really. You're giving your life to this role. Your time and your energy and time is so finite and precious. What do you want as a result of people being around you and with you? Are they going to become better as humans and more skilled? Or are they just getting better at playing politics, hiding their inadequacies, covering up their insecurities? And you got to show them how, you got to lead them into it.
0: Yeah. One of the, uh, I, after I asked you the question, I kind of was thinking about how I might already be doing that. And um, a small thing that we do when we um, engage with a new prospective client, uh, we send them a questionnaire. And uh, we have about, the first question on it is, which best describes your ultimate reason for change? And the second answer out of maybe 12 or 15 Um, uh, choices is to ensure my people realize their full potential Hmm. everything else there is about you know market expansion attracting financing um, mergers and acquisition you know (laughs) become number one in my marketplace but this idea of ensure my people realize their full potential you know that that tells me a lot about the CEO that we're about to talk to yeah. Uh, and it, it also expands as i mentioned before this idea of well what metrics matter most well how you know we can measure are you the number number one player in your market you know uh, do you have an aggressive enough expansion uh, strategy are you hitting your revenue numbers are you expanding your team as fast as you, those are all interesting metrics that serve a business uh, a business need but what about the, you know how do we measure are by people realizing their full potential? You know, how do you how do you even begin to think about that? I mean early on, I've had clients simply measure whether or not they're fighting as much as they used to, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not that's that's just taking baby steps, right? How do we move to are you realizing your full potential? And I think, you know, one I mean we all we all you know, again, I'm, I'm exaggerating because I'm thinking that everybody else thinks like me when I say we all want to live in a world where, you know, everyone feels like they um, are free to be who they, who they were born to be. Right. So, again, it may not be all of us, but for those of us that that does matter, it, it feels like a lot of us just don't know where to start as a society. Who do we go talk to to inquire about? Um, measuring potential, realizing potential—you uh, know—it just—it's just an amazing kind of—it's an amazing again paradox. And I wonder—I um, wonder what your experience is there. Yeah. You know, how for, many people walk through that.
1: For me, the paradox is this: insecurities in who you are create the momentum of transformation. You want to learn to welcome the insecurity, not fight against it, and shift it into deeper self-awareness. That is the foundation of your leadership. And so what we do is dive in really quick with leaders to help them figure out with precise and accurate awareness what is the specific pain point or nerve center okay. of their insecurity.
0: Because all will have them. So, you're, so it sounds like, in my words, it sounds like you're saying, look, we can start the process if you're willing to, as a leader, uh, identify the flaws, the things that are holding you back.
1: Yeah, well, without, I would say they don't even have to identify it because that might get them too logical and linear and fighting Mm, against themselves. Uh, Instead, it's more of learning to relax and recognize uh, what are the things in them that they're protecting themselves from at all costs of ever feeling. And that nerve center that's there that they don't wanna feel, that's where their ego, and all leaders have ego, all people have ego. Your ego isn't the enemy it's trying to protect you from feeling that nerve center well if we can get you relaxed and we walk in and feel that nerve center we don't have to be a you know trans- we don't have to be uh, shaped by it anymore we can be transformed by it and that is what mm. will be a before after experience for leaders that's what happened for you and your coaching right a decade ago
0: yeah
1: and that's what you mean
0: by awareness exactly being open to receiving the information, allow, that's the first step, and then receiving it and processing it creates that a level of awareness. And that's what helps us understand ourselves better at a more humanistic level. And then yep. by, under, by virtue of understanding ourselves better at a more humanistic level, we are now more willing and more open to understanding others at the same level. And that is the glue that begins to bring us together.
1: Absolutely, and, and, and beyond that, the glue that brings us together transformed people, you know, but you can't transform what you don't accept. So the beginning point is accepting it.
0: Yeah. You got to you got to recognize it, as you said, and then accept it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could be walking in the desert, not realize that you're lost exactly. or, not, or not even willing to <laughs> or think you're in the forest. Look you're at a map, the, Right.
1: Yeah. You're in the right. desert and you're like, the forest is awesome. And I'm like, this has never been a forest.
0: well look uh this has been a great conversation um what does this lead us to in terms of a next topic for the next time we get together what would be a natural transition to discuss next time
1: well we've, we've talked a lot about what it means to just introduce this idea of a flow through from a healthy leader to a scalable balanced team that has no imbalance to this growth culture that we've referred to on, on different episodes, so I think it's going deeper into what it means to start to put together that team and look at what are the big areas you want to watch out for.
0: Right. So it's a team of human beings, in addition to uh, butts and seats, people in roles. Well said. Well said. Thanks, Chris. thanks for listening if you've learned something or were inspired to try something new please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know if you'd like to learn more visit and connect with me james at floristgroup.com f-l-o-r-i-s-s group.com
1: And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com.
0: Peace.